What would you think about a friend who would clasp your hand warmly upon greeting you, or maybe even more commonly upon parting, would grasp your hand and look you squarely in the eye and say, whatever you do, don't miss the joy. I've heard of someone who characteristically parted in that way. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. The writer and poet Robert Louis Stevenson suffered from severe physical disability and suffered a great deal in his life. But Robert Louis Stevenson said something like this, to miss the joy is to miss it all. And yet somehow, I think some of us within the body have had problems with that. Somehow we have felt like that the really spiritual life may be just a little bit incompatible with an exuberant spirit, with a spirit of real exhilaration and joy. And of course, if you know the book, you know that's false. That's just not true. Rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 3.1. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice, Philippians 4.4. I write these things that your joy may be full. John writes, 1 John chapter 1 at verse 4. The late William Barclay, and whatever else might be said about Barclay, and we certainly would not concur with some of his presuppositions, but he was a great biblical scholar, and he made an observation that I think is very true. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And Christianity has suffered in history from its association with long faces and black clothes. And maybe he really has a point. I believe an unhappy Christian is a contradiction in terms, and I believe that the Lord intended that we know real joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 7, "...whom having not seen, we love, on whom though now we see Him not yet rejoicing, or yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why is it that we somehow miss the joy? I think with some of us, there is a galling sense of responsibility, and we're impressed with the fact that we must be responsible, and we must. And life is a serious thing, and yet even in the midst of heavy obligations and grave responsibilities, God's child should know a radiant joy. I think some of us think that joy must be a reward for uh, something close to perfection, great performance, a virtually perfect performance. And so we deem ourselves unworthy of joy, but that's false. And sometimes we cast an incriminating pall upon others who would be joyful and would say, how can you possibly be happy in a world like this? Failing to realize that joy is often the gift the Lord provides at the very worst of times. H.G. Spafford wrote those words we've sung. At a time of great personal tragedy, a time of great loss, and yet he wrote, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, the, oh, the bliss. And that word means ecstasy, joy. And Spafford writes of that at a time of great personal tragedy. The Lord intends that we have that joy. And I want you to look with me. At John chapter 15 and verse 11. John 15 and verse 11. 
These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And those words were spoken the night before His crucifixion. These words are spoken after He has already, John chapter 13, revealed the fact that one would betray Him. These words are a part of the series of farewell discourses that you have in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 in the Gospel of John. And I have spoken these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Spoken in the shadow of the cross. But he speaks of joy. And I can't really understand this without going back. Because he said, these things have I spoken unto you. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What had he spoken? And I want us to examine again a passage we looked at not long ago. Not long ago, we looked at this passage emphasizing the fact that loving one another is something we do because we're in the vine. And therefore, we love one another. And we're ready to help and to try to heal hurting and broken hearts because we're in the vine, and that's why we love. That's also why we rejoice. That's why in a world of apparent darkness, the Christian sees light, the light of the world, John 8, 12, and the Christian rejoices. I've said these things, that my joy may be in you. We've got to know what he said. So go back with me to verse 1 and look again with me at one of the great New Testament texts. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. And every branch in me that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it. In some translations, he purgeth or pruneth it. He cleanseth, purgeth, or pruneth it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, so, more, so neither can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same beareth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. For without me, verse 5, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Even as the Father hath loved me, and I also have loved you, abide ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, verse 10, watch it. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And now verse 11, one more time. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. 
Whatever you do, don't make the foolish and spiritually potentially fatal mistake. Don't fall into the fallacious error. Don't buy the evil one's lie that he's palmed off on many and caused them to accept that there is some kind of incompatibility between the truly spiritual life and real joy right now. Because that's false. Let me tell you that joy may be yours, whereas superficial happiness that rests upon happenstance, our word happiness rests on the Latin base, from which we get the term happenstance, happiness resting upon happenstance may elude you. But in the midst of peril and pressure and pain and problems, you can know this joy. I've spoken these things. Put it into context. They may be moving even now in the direction of Gethsemane. Some believe that some of these farewell discourses were spoken in transit. And there is some indication that there is movement that takes place. And they may be moving from Jerusalem even toward Gethsemane. Some have conjectured, and it's not impossible, that when he said, I am the true vine, they could have been passing in view of the temple. And you have a gate there, and upon it there is an exquisitely ornately formed vine, and that vine is the symbol of Israel. And the great prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, repeatedly echoed the truth that Israel is the vine. And against that background, our Lord, who tells us of joy and urges us not to miss it, says, I am the true vine. And that, in a sense, would be a shocker for the Hebrew of that day, for one to say, I am the vine. This is another one of those great I am statements. I am, ego a me. It repeats that idea and that great concept and that great term for deity, for God, of Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. And our Lord, no doubt, with a conscious awareness of that, repeatedly in John's Gospel says, I am, I am. And now I am the vine. I am the vine. In Psalms 80... Verses 8 and 9. Thou didst, thou didst plant a vine. Thou didst take up a vine out of Egypt. Thou didst drive out the nations, and thou didst plant it. Now, what's the psalmist talking about? He's talking about the nation. He's talking about Israel. This is the vine of Jehovah. Thou didst take a vine out of Egypt. Thou didst drive out the nations, the Canaanitish peoples, and thou didst plant it. In Jeremiah 2.21, Jeremiah refers to Israel as Jehovah's choice vine, the choice vine of the Almighty. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5, about the first seven verses, pictures this. Israel is the vine or is the vineyard of Jehovah of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel takes the same imagery and puts it into the context of suffering and judgment. And so, upon a main entrance to the temple, there is this vine, the symbol of the nation. And now here is one who said, I am the vine. I am. Ego a me, and not just I am, but I am the vine. And you know what that means, among other things? Your joy and your deliverance and your salvation and your life depends not upon Hebrew blood or Hebrew history or Hebrew heritage. It's not your ancestry. It's not your tribal descent. It's not Abraham's blood in your veins. But it's abiding in me. I'm the vine. And apart from the vine, there is no life. That's true then. That's true now. 
And make no mistake, the Word is clear about how we come into Him. Jesus makes it clear here in John 15 that unless you abide in Me as a vine, you're going to be cast forth. There is no life. There's no deliverance. There is no joy. There's no real love and love for others in the agape sense unless I'm in the vine. There's the source of life and energy and vitality. And Paul writes in Galatians 3, we're all the children of God. In that context, regardless of race, regardless of the old law and the keeping or non-keeping of its rites and rituals, circumcision, sacrifices, we're all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He's the vine. Don't trust Hebrew history, Hebrew heritage, Hebrew blood. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you're not really in the vine unless you've been baptized into Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there can be neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ. And if we be Christ, then are we Abraham's seed. It's not His blood in our veins, but it's that faith in our heart and life that's crucial. If we're Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, as we look at John 15, and we remember those words in verse 11, I've spoken these things unto you that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full, and we all want that joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want to stress four things particularly. To know that joy, number one, we've got to see the problem. Number two, we've got to seek the Savior. Joy is in a person. It's not in a place. It's not in a program. It's not in plenty or power or pleasure or position. It's in a person. And if we want the fullest measure of that joy, we must serve. Jesus is saying that, among other things. As He talks about the vine and the branches, My Father is glorified, herein is He glorified, that you bear much fruit. And if you really want to know the greatest and richest and fullest measure of joy unspeakable, you must surrender. Abide in the vine, depend upon Him, surrender. See the problem, seek the Savior, serve, and surrender completely to Him. I think we have that in John 15. What's the problem? Well, you see, without Him, I can't do a thing. John 15, 5. Without Him, separate from Him, apart from Him, divorced from the vine, I am nothing and can do absolutely nothing. John chapter 10, or rather, Jeremiah chapter 10 at verse 23, O Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I can't make it alone. The way of man is not in himself. John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. Jeremiah 10, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. John chapter 12, verse 24, except the grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Without a death to self, without a surrender, we'll talk about in moments. We abide alone, and alone we are spiritually impotent and powerless. And so it's crucial that we be in the vine. I've got to see the problem. There's a sin problem. And there is a problem if I determine to go through life trusting the feeble arm of flesh and abiding alone because the way of man is not in himself. And without me, you can do nothing. 
Many, many years ago, I heard Don H. Morris, president at that time of what was then Abilene Christian College. Brother Morris was an impressive person, a short, stocky fellow, but with a deep, resonant voice. And I remember him one time in a chapel devotion pleading with young people, saying, My young friend, give yourself to a great cause. I want to tell you, I want to tell you something, unless you give yourself, to the Lord, and unless you're in the vine, you really won't amount to much, and you won't be able to accomplish anything spiritually, and you'll go through life weak and ineffectual and powerless and bearing all the burden of your guilt. Without me, you can do nothing. We've got a problem. It's the sin problem. We're talking about joy. I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you. Now, with the joy emphasis before, you look at Romans chapter 4 at 7 and 8. As Paul goes to a psalm, the great 32nd psalm, the one that Augustine wanted read in the hour of his death, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not reckon sin. What's that word blessed mean? Brother Hugo McCord wrote a book on the Beatitudes called Happiness guaranteed. Why? Because that word blessed in the Beatitudes means happy. Not the superficial joy of payday and fair weather, but the joy unspeakable and full of glory, the peace that passeth understanding, the joy that's better than something that rests upon happenstance. And so Paul said, Blessed, in the language of the psalm, are they whose iniquities are forgiven. That is, happy are they whose iniquities are forgiven. Friend, if that's not true in your case, I want to tell you something. You don't know joy unspeakable. Now, you may eat at all the best places, and Dunn and Bradstreet could rate you high, and you could be in the blue book or the 400 or the social register, and you could have all the trappings of an apparently successful life, but I want to tell you with confidence, you don't have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered, Blessed, happy is the man to whom the Lord does not reckon sin. That means unhappy are they whose sins are not covered. And unhappy is the man to whom the Lord does reckon sin. And I assure you, friend, that's true. I picked up a Fort Worth Star-Telegram many years ago, and I read about Clyde R. Etherly, who had flown a reconnaissance mission over Hiroshima. And before that was prior to the bombing of that Japanese city. Before that experience, he was affable, personable, apparently well-adjusted. And after that, his behavior became extremely erratic. He was in and out of mental institutions and penal institutions. You know what brought about the change? A deep sense of guilt. We've got to see the problem. And the problem is we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the problem is that man left to himself is doomed and damned and hopeless and helpless. And the problem is that we're spiritually powerless and impotent alone because without Him we can do nothing. But now you're clean, he said, John 15. Through the words that I've spoken at about verse 3, He has cleansing, purging, pardon through His Word and through His blood. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. We've got to see the problem and we've got to seek the Savior. The answer is in that one who said, I am the vine. Orthodox Jews at this time were accustomed to understanding on the basis of Old Testament prophetic statements, on the basis of the Psalms and the prophets and the imagery of the prophets, we are the vine of Jehovah. We are His vine and we are His vineyard. And we even have that 
suggested in a very visible way, a tangible way, on our temple. That was the sign of Israel. The eagle represents our country. Well, the vine represented Israel. And now one comes saying, I am the vine. Ego a me. I am and I am the vine. And it is only in me, Jesus is saying, that you can have purging and pardon and life. And without me, you're as unproductive and dry and dead and powerless as that branch that's been dissected from the vine. So we've got to see the problem, the sin problem, the self-problem, the fact that alone and apart from Him, we'll never make it. Without me, you can do nothing. We've got to seek the Savior. He said, I am the vine. And cleansing comes through Him, His Word, His blood. And then in order to really know joy unspeakable and full of glory, we're going to have to serve. Look again at the figure. I'm the vine and you're the branches. My father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He cleanseth it. He pruneth it. I read the account of a man who saw some of the vineyards of Palestine. And he said at certain times of the year, they're not beautiful at all. They are cut back stumps that have been severely pruned and trimmed. You know what you have to do with a vineyard? All the dead wood has to be ruthlessly removed. And all the productive plants have to be drastically cut back. And somehow, maybe we don't like that, and maybe we fail to see that the joy of Scripture is not a primrose path laid out by our Lord, that we walk almost flippantly, provided a special immunity from problems. That's not it at all. He prunes, He purges, He cleanses, He cuts back in order that we might be productive. But notice, it's in order that we might be productive. And look down at about 15.8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Where do we find this real joy? In bearing fruit, in serving. Unless I sustain a vital union with Christ, and out of the strength of that union, unless I'm reaching out to touch other lives, to serve, to help, to save in the power of that Lord who does the saving, unless I'm doing that, I can't really know the joy. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And he could have added the other side of that coin. Herein you come to know the real joy as you bear the fruit. An old proverb puts it like this. Help thy brother's boat across, and lo, thine own hath reached the shore. You want to be happy? You want to know joy unspeakable? You want to get rid of the grimness? The antidote for the grimness is grace, and grace fills a life with something that has to be shared. You want to really know that? Then get busy living for others. If you seize your life, and exploit it selfishly, joy will be a perpetual and continuing stranger to you. You won't know it. But if you lose your life in service to Him and to others, if you bear much fruit, if in your vital union with Christ the vine, you reach out to others to heal, to help, to love, as He goes on to talk about in verse 12, then you'll know joy. He that saves his life shall lose it. That's spiritual suicide. Only his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life 
Here is a branch serving others, living for others, bearing fruit. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it, and there's real joy. There is something implicit implicit in John 15 that is not explicitly spelled out here. However, I would be quick to add that in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, much is said about the Spirit. I would be quick to admit that much of what's said here relates particularly to the Spirit in the life of the apostles. He'll guide you into all truth, John 16, 13. He'll bring to remembrance what I said. John 14, 26, when the apostles got up and they were preaching and they had to remember what was said on the Sermon on the Mount, you know what they didn't have to do? They didn't have to get out their notes on the fourfold gospel. That course they took back there and check it out. Why? The Spirit gave them a remembrance of that. And so I'm not trying to affirm that everything that our Lord promises with regard to the Comforter and His work would apply broadly and generally, but I do want to say this. And I'd like to say it as emphatically as I know how. Implicit in the teaching on joy in John 15 is the great spiritual reality that as we're in the vine, as we're in Christ, and in vital union with Him, and as He dwells in our hearts by faith, the Spirit lives within us. And have you ever noticed, we're talking today about joy, have you ever noticed how the inspired writers repeatedly connect Spirit and joy, joy and spirit together. Have you noticed that? John 13, or rather Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 at verse 52. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, the last verse of that chapter. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Look at, John, uh, at Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The Spirit of God, or the Kingdom of God rather, the Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And now one everybody knows. We could just go around the room and let everybody quote this and you'd sail right through it. Galatians 5.22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is love what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control against such there's no law. I was talking to some young people on campus at a little uh, lunch yesterday, and uh, I made the point that this is one of the required courses. And of course, you've heard this story several times about how back in 1990, your business, I crowded four years working four and a half years over there at Abilene and got to where when I went to a dean or academic advisor, I won't know if this is required or if this is an optional course. Listen, when our Lord tells us to rejoice, when John says, I write these things that your joy may be full, when Jesus says, I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, hey, they're talking about a required course, not an optional course in the Christian curriculum. And maybe one of the best ways to prove it is Galatians 5.22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control against such there's no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And Romans 8 9, if any man hath not what? Hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So we've asked the Lord to forgive our sins of omission and commission, but what about the sin of joylessness? What about our failure to rejoice in the Lord? I've told you about my preacher friend who said some of the brethren can't be optimistic. They've got misty optics. They're like a fellow went around saying, don't you want to be a Christian? It's about to kill me. And nobody really wanted to be a Christian on his account. Hey, how do we overcome that? Serve. Lose your life in service. But it is not a galling response to legal requirements. But it is rather the expression of the divine spirit within us and the Christ living within us. And so in the language of Galatians 5 at about 16 and 18 and uh, verse 25, I need to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and allow within my life the fruit of the Spirit to be in evidence, and that's love, joy. And as I do that, I'm going to serve. And herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And you know, you've seen them, I've seen them, people who were gloriously joyful, filled with a great joy. Not everything in the externals were perfect. They didn't have a, a utopia in which they were living. They had their problems like all the rest of us, but they were joyful and they were serving. And the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, was in evidence in their life. If you really want the fullest measure of this joy, you're going to have to surrender. What is it that the branch really has to do? Yield completely to the vine and depend upon the vine. Isn't that simple? Except you abide in me, Jesus said. Without me, verse 5, you can do nothing. And so there's a key verb here, abide. And here's the idea of a continuing relationship. And in that continuing relationship, there is utter and complete dependence upon the vine. And we do not what we do in our own power, but with Paul we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without Him, nothing. John 15, 5, all things with Him. Philippians 4 at 13, and surrender is the key. That's what He calls for here. That's what He calls for in Matthew 16. That's what He calls for in Luke chapter 9. That's what our Lord's Spirit through Paul is calling for in Philippians chapter 2, the self-emptying mind. That's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 2 and 20. I'm crucified with Christ. I found out what to do in those afternoon classes. Just use that word test. Let's take one real quickly. That wakes them up then. You don't have to use pen or paper, but... Be honest with this. Look at this progression of commitment. And tell yourself and your Lord where you find yourself here. All the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be. When I proudly said to Jesus, all of self, all of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. When I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me. I beheld him. Bleeding on the accursed tree. And my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Some of self and some of thee, some of self and some of thee, my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, His tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Less of self and more of thee, less of self and more of thee, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last hath conquered, none of self and all of thee. None of self and all of thee, none of self and all of thee. Lord, thy love at last hath conquered. None of self 
and all of thee. Where'd you find yourself? If it's all of self and none of thee, I don't have to tell you about the bitter pain and sorrow. You know about that. You're experiencing it right now. The greatest and richest and fullest measure of joy unspeakable and full of glory awaits those who will say, none of self and all of thee. I am in the vine and I am dependent upon Him and I am altogether surrendered to Him. Speak, Lord, thy servant here is command and he will obey. And it's in that spirit of surrender that we know the greatest joy. Charles Kingsley was once asked, how could you be so joyful through some of the heavy pressures that you felt? And he had a simple, succinct reply to that question. He said, I had a friend. I had a friend. And God's child might well be asked, how in the midst of all of this have you maintained this radiance, this joy, this joy unspeakable and full of glory, and a kind of power that's obviously not your own? And he could say, I have a friend and I'm in him and he's in me and I abide in him. And that's the source of joy and power. Friend, listen to me. Whatever you do, don't, don't miss the joy. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. And it's in Him. And we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there can be neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ. And if we be Christ, then are we Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. I'm the vine and you're the branches, and without me you can do nothing. And I've spoken these things, that my joy may be in you. A Savior hurrying to the cross speaks those words, and that your joy may be full. Friend, whatever you do, don't miss the joy. You're responsive to Him. Come now. While we stand, while we sing, won't you come?